Rose out to the right, pitches off to Taylor, and Taylor's to the 20, down to the 15, down to 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, touchdown Billy Taylor, touchdown Billy Taylor, Billy Taylor scored a touchdown from 21 yards out, the crowd goes berserk. It was November 22nd, 1969 that they came to Barry, Michigan, all dressed in maize and blue. The words were said, the prayers were read, and everybody cried. But when they closed the coffin, there was someone else inside. Oh, they came to Barry, Michigan, but Michigan wasn't dead. And when the game was over, it was someone else instead. Eleven Michigan Wolverines put on the gloves of gray, and as the organ played the victors, they laid Woody Hayes away. Under center is Wangler at the 45. He goes back. He's looking for a receiver. He throws downfield to fire. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. For Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the visitor's edition of the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Joining us in just a moment will be Spartan beat writer Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal. But first, let's get started as we always do with my view from Section 17. Last year's monsoon game with Michigan State is still one of my worst big house memories. If you were there, you know what I mean. It was a 14-10 loss that included five turnovers from us. Yet we still had a chance to win the game on the last drive. The Spartans, as they always do, have gotten a lot of mileage from that win. We don't need to be reminded how successful Mark D'Antonio and the Spartans have been against us in the last decade, but our Spartan friends and family do that every chance they get. I'll give them their due. It is their Super Bowl, and sometimes I think they don't mind being 1-11 if that one win is against Michigan. D'Antonio does know how to prepare for this game, and for whatever reason, we have not matched their intensity for most of the last decade. When Jim took over, many of us thought it wouldn't be long and we'd be back to dominating this series. Hasn't happened, though. Jim is 1-2 and two against them, could easily be 3-0, and oh, but he's not. Jim is also well aware of his record against the Spartans. That has to change, and it needs to start this Saturday in East Lansing. The Spartans are a banged-up team, especially on offense, but their defense has been outstanding. On paper, they don't match up with us very well. But they didn't match up well with Penn State last weekend on the road, and look how that turned out. Gary Moeller used to irritate a lot of Michigan fans by saying Michigan State was a bigger rivalry than Ohio State, and I suppose you can debate that. But Coach Moe's point was, we don't live or work in Ohio. We mingle and live with Spartans all year. It is a very personal game on so many levels. This Saturday, there once again is much on the line for both teams and for all of us as fans. It is huge, and I can't wait. Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal says he can't see the Spartans winning this game, but he said if Michigan lets them hang around, like Penn State did last week, then it could be playing right into Mark D'Antonio's wheelhouse. He joins us next here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew.
Celtics on our visitors segment today as we get ready for the game. Uh, Saturday in East Lansing is columnist Graham Couch, who covers the Spartans for the Lansing State Journal. Graham, it's uh, been a few years since we've had you on, but welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, after that Northwestern loss, the uh, the fan base, Graham, was a bit uneasy. Uh, all the Spartan fans I know, my buddies, uh, were starting to really get worried. And then, then you go into Happy Valley, you're two touchdown underdogs, and... Kaboom! We've seen it happen before in the D'Antonio era. What a win! Yeah, no, it was it was really stunning. I, I've joked this year that there were two things I was certain of this football season. One that was that the uh, Minnesota Vikings would beat the Buffalo Bills, and the other <laughs> thing was that uh, the Penn State would beat uh, Michigan State, and uh, neither happened. So it shows what you I know. Um, but you know, in, in hindsight, it was it was two it, a few things happened. One, it's it's naturally the underdog grit mentality that Antonio has done before the ability to win in the improbable situation uh, that we saw at at Ohio State in 2015 and situations like that before but it's there were also a lot of changes made by Michigan State in terms of giving this team a chance and then there were a lot of mistakes I think made by Penn State uh, that it took for this to happen because I think Penn State should have put this team away if, if, if they had been smart. And, and, and James Franklin kind of said it, you let a proud program hang around. And that's what MSU did really well for the first two and a half quarters. They just kind of hung around and then they found some swagger and confidence and, and, and it worked out. Well, as you said, Coach D'Antonio put his team in a position late in the game to win and he likes his bag of tricks. We've seen that so many times through the years. He pulled out all the stops against Saturday, didn't he? He did. You know, they were playing to win that game and they were, I mean, it was not, you know, let's hold on to anything for Michigan. Uh, let's, you know, try and salvage the season then. They, they, they were playing to, you know, stay in the Big Ten hunt and to win that game and, and have it be a program game and yeah, when you get a a fake punt and a halfback pass on the same possession, and later <laughs> a lot of fake field goal that's thrown to a defensive tackle. You're not you're not holding things back. Well, you know, on Sunday morning I was reading a lot of the recaps, uh, especially some of the uh, the national writers, and they were saying the win at Penn State saved the season. And you know, others I read said it just re-energized it. But you know, say what you want, it put the Spartans right back in the mix in the Big Ten East, didn't it? It did. I mean, it's strangely because if you if you look at where they were, not just record wise, but what they were in that loss to, to Northwestern offensively and even defensively, frankly, that, that it, there was just no way. It wasn't just that mathematically they were in trouble. They just weren't a team that was capable of competing. And now, you know, they're a win over Michigan away from having a legitimate shot to host Ohio State with the Big Ten East championship on the line. I mean, they're going to have to beat Purdue, which I don't think is a given for this team. I don't think this team is that much better than anybody. And then they're going to have to win at Maryland, which – I think it's a good matchup because Maryland can can only run the ball. But, of course, first of all, they got to beat Michigan, which I don't think is going to happen either. Um, but it's still the fact that they're the fact that they're playing for more in this game than just to to beat the rival and salvage their, some of their season in that sense um, is pretty remarkable considering where, where they were a week and a half ago. Well, let's talk about this Spartan team and some of the key players we're going to see on Saturday. Let's start with Brian Lewerke. How would you describe his play so far this season? You know, it, it's been, um, I would say, both gutsy and erratic. Um, you know, he has had to deal with, it's been a w- weird year. I mean, they've had a lot of injuries. He has had very, you know, not the protection even he had last year. Uh, they haven't been able to give him a running game. Uh, he had a game where, you know, they go to Arizona State, which is his, uh, where he's from. And, you know, he's got all his you know, hundreds of 
family and friends, which is a weird experience, I think. And and then, but he's also missed on some throws. He hasn't been. I, I don't think he's been the quarterback, and I think he would admit this that he had hoped this year would be, uh, in in terms of just consistency and accuracy at times. And uh, that said, you, you'll you'll think that about him, and you'll think, boy, he really missed on that throw, or he that was a bad interception, or he was lucky not to be picked off. And then he'll turn around and make a pass, and you go, well, that, that's that's the guy who's an NFL prospect. So. It, it's been a kind of a mixed bag. When you looked at the game on Saturday, what you can say about him, he threw it over, I think it was 52 times against Penn State, and he didn't look real good all the time, but he's one of those kids that just keeps coming at you, isn't he? Yeah, he doesn't get uh, rattled that easily. I'll do, I did think in the first half that he was beginning to lose a little confidence. And, you know, when you're down three of your top four receivers and you're starting running back and two offensive guards, that sort of thing can happen to a quarterback and and there's a danger in that because I've seen it happen to a guy like Andrew Maxwell for example and Maxwell wasn't the quarterback that the work he is but but he was on a different trajectory and then all of a sudden a lot of receiver drops and bad offensive line play and he just kind of lost confidence and he never got it back and then he lost his opportunity because he lost the job to Connor Cook so there's always a danger for a young quarterback that, that you just never get it back but in the second half um I mean, there there was a there was that kind of bounce to him again, and you know he threw some really critical passes and kind of kept him in the game. And he and Felton Davis started playing catch, and all of a sudden they had a chance. Well, L.J. Scott has been out for weeks now. Is there any chance we're going to see him on Saturday? You know, I don't know. Uh, less so, I think, than I thought a week ago. The, the fact that he didn't travel to um, Penn State was telling because he had been testing it week after week and. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of leads me to believe that it, it's a little worse than, than they had hoped. That said, if there's ever a week to come back, this is probably it. The, the thing about LJ, though, is they need him at 100% or count him not at all because it's not like, I mean, 100%, he's their best running back. There's no question. He can do things that they really, really need. If you're not 100%, are you better than Ladarius Jefferson and Connor Hayward? I don't probably not, and so it doesn't make sense. So I, I don't know. You know, it's a really good question, I and mean, it's tough to get a good answer mm-hmm. out of what exactly is going on with, with people around the program. Well, injuries have uh, impacted the entire offense this year, and of course, we just uh, mentioned L.J. Scott, but the receiving core has been decimated, haven't they? Yeah, no, that and that was really what, what you know. If you read some of the the garbage that I wrote about this <laughs> offense having a chance to be prolific before the season, a lot of it was predicated on. And that receiving core and uh, Cody White, uh, Daryl Stewart, and Felton Davis. And to me, you had three guys, all of which who were uh, really good, proven, capable, you know, 40, 50 catch guys at the college level. And and I didn't know if anybody had a huge NFL upside. I knew, you know, I think Felton Davis will play in the NFL for a while. And I think, um, you know, Cody White eventually will too. And then, and, and I mean, all three of them may play in the league. But there wasn't any Plaxico Burris or Charles Rogers among mm-hmm. them type. But I thought, boy, you put all three of those guys as weapons on the field at the same time where you just cannot double cover guys. You really can't afford to um, have a, a weakness at corner, and they're, they're going to exploit you. And, they, you know, they got an opportunity to do it a little bit. I think they were surprised by how bad the running game was early, and they were surprised by how bad the protection was early. Um, but having Cody White, you know, Daryl Stewart's been out with the uh, with the ankle, and Cody White now with a broken hand, and uh, they just they, they haven't had that group together, and it's 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 made a difference. They've had some young guys play well, um, but it's 
there's a, especially with Cody White. I mean, he's a guy who just does a lot of things for them, and he's a really instinctual wide receiver. Um, that that's a loss. The offensive line has had their share of injuries, I think, in the Penn State game Saturday. Both starting offensive guards were out, so that's been a huge issue, hasn't it? It has, and, you know, Saturday was actually the first time the line looked okay. Now, a lot of that had to do, they went to very much more of a zone blocking scheme, mm-hmm. a lot more run-pass option, and those guys eventually found a little bit of a rhythm in the running game, which we haven't seen really except for maybe the first half at Arizona State, and... um it, it's it's been an issue. I mean, that was the question coming into the season was like this offense can be really really good if this line is is okay. And so we always kind of knew about them that this was the question, and the answer to the question was just not what they wanted to hear. It's just the line was not in a good place. And you know, in hindsight, there were some signs. In other words, I mean, center is like the most underrated position on, on offense, and they lost an All American. And Brian Allen, and, and he was really the um, the toughness and the tone, and, and you know, and they really struggled at that position uh, for a couple weeks. And the rest, of the, and then they had an injury to their left tackle, Cole Chewins, who was who was coming off an injury in the off season. So I don't know. There's a whole lot of development there. So th- there are a number of reasons that it happened, uh, but it was ju- it was surprising to see. I thought they would at least be similar to what they were last year, which was against good teams. They could not really run the football effectively, but they protected pretty well most of the time. And that was not, um, that was not the case right out of the shoot. Well, you talked about Brian Lewerke's confidence, maybe wavering at times, but when you watch him play this year and then Saturday through 52 times, he ran 12 times. He is uh, because of the injuries, I'm sure being asked to do an awful lot, isn't he? Well, he is, uh, you know, some people should argue that he should be asked to do more, and they should wing it around even more. Although, before that, that was sort of before the receiver deal, because there was there was a point in the season where they weren't running the ball at all. L.J. Scott gets banged up. It's like you know, you've got these wideouts, but now you really do have to have to be creative because and, and they have not run him quite as much as they did last year, and some of that has to do with you know last year was they played four bad weather games, and so there were a lot of games where just throwing the football was was difficult but um you, you know it, he is there is a lot on his shoulders i think he can handle it though I, th- I think in some ways they've underutilized him as a weapon uh on the ground here and there now you got to keep him upright your season kind of depends on it but i do think they're you know i think going to more of the rpos and stuff with him mm-hmm. utilizing those legs over on the other side of the ball, the Spartan defense was number one in the country uh, heading into Saturday's action against the run. And other than a couple of uh, big chunk plays against Penn State, they really did a pretty nice job, didn't they? They did. And if you had told me that they would give up two big running plays mm-hmm. and still win that game, I would have told you you were crazy because, you know, that really has been their, their bread and butter. The one thing I thought they were elite at and, you know, the thing that allowed them to stay in game. The fact that they were giving up about 30 yards a game on the ground, just a little over a yard of carry, and, and I thought if that broke down, they'd be in real trouble. And there were a couple of big runs, but they were better against the pass than they did. Um, and they were really good at collapsing the pocket around um, Trace McSorley, and you know, not necessarily always you know sacking him, but making him move and be uncomfortable, and, and making that kind of a nightmare for him. And, and the fact that a team that scored, is scoring 49 points a game scored 17, it's a pretty good day. That's what mm-hmm. it is. 
Well, you know, at this time of the season, we're at the midway point, Graham. Most teams have an identity or a good idea, of at least, of what they can and can't do well. What would you say is the identity of this Spartan football team? That's a good question. Um, I think it's because, you know, this is, I think some of that's been robbed of them a little bit by the injuries, especially mm-hmm. at receiver. Um, and I think it's a team that will compete with you up front defensively. Like they will, they will. I think that the identity for them is on that defensive front and, and, and you know linebacker, and that is sort of that they will hang around with you because they can they can make life miserable there. And because um, I think the offensive identity has been has been stolen a little bit and. You know, and, and it's hard to be formed given what they are right now. And so I think the the identity might be simply what it was at Penn State, but they will hang around with you. And and if you if you give them an opening, you might get burned by it. But the, on the flip side of that is they're just not that more much more talented than other people. And in the right matchup, I mean, like I think Purdue could be a serious problem for them. Yeah. I, you know, if you if you rely on running the football like a, a Maryland or Nebraska, I think. That's a tough. That's tough sledding against this team. But if you can throw it around a little bit, I don't think their talent is that much better than Purdue's. You know, <laughs> I think that could be a real dangerous game after the Michigan game. And, uh, the flip side of that is Michigan doesn't put them away, and and this game gets close. They, they know how to finish. Big games always have big matchups. Michigan's offensive line and the running game against the Spartans front is, I think what we should be watching this week because I, I think that's where the game's going to turn. How about you? Yeah, I, I kind of tend to agree. I, I, it's, to me, it's it's Ken. Well, I mean, I think there are two. I, I agree on that because Michigan's offensive line has looked a lot better lately. And so what what is – can they continue to progress? Can they run the football a little bit? Can they protect Shea Patterson? And Michigan's done a lot more spreading teams out and, and, and using RPOs and, and, and just being smart with what they have. Um the other the other side of that is this Michigan defense, I believe, is starting to get to the point where when they smell blood, they come after you, and it's trouble. And that was the thing I thought before the year that Michigan might be make Michigan great is I thought they might have a defense that was special that could overwhelm you. And early on, they didn't. They had a fast defense. They had a good defense. But it wasn't a defense where you went, boy, that's historically really good. And now you're starting to see – you know, even with some of the injuries, that you're starting to see that. And so the question for me is, I don't think Michigan State is faced a defense like this. Um, and you're still beat up. And uh, you've got a Michigan team that I think is as motivated as ever to beat you. Uh, and I think that's a dangerous, dangerous recipe. So when you talk about hanging in there, can Michigan State again hang in there? And uh, I don't know. I think that's a really, I mean, these games are usually close. You know, they're closer in the spread, all that stuff historically. But, I mean, I think there's a real danger for Michigan State. I think they'll be very careful that uh, they don't they don't let uh, Michigan smell blood in the water. Well, the final question for you, Graham. Um, as we saw last week when the Spartans visited Happy Valley, point spreads uh, don't mean much. Uh, but for those who do put stock in them, Michigan is on average, uh, depends where you look, about a seven-point favorite right now. But uh, those of us who live here and have experienced this rivalry all of our lives know this is going to be a battle. And something uh, inside of me, my little voice is saying, this is one of these games, if Michigan lets them, as we've been saying, hang around, this could go down to a last possession game, which is exactly what Coach D'Antonio loves, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you've got to be a little crazy to bet this one. 
I think either way, because I think the smart football tactical move, just based on what Michigan's doing right now, would be to if it's a seven point game, take Michigan, give the points. And if you look at the history of this, so Michigan State's like eleven and zero against the spread yeah. um, under Mark D'Antonio, so that's kind of insane to do. Um, so uh, yeah, no, I think I think there's a real chance. That, I think if you told me on Monday or Sunday that this went either way, that Michigan won by you know seventeen points and and was clearly the better team throughout, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And if you told me this was a game that that came down to the final possession and either team won. I wouldn't be surprised either because I've just I've seen this rivalry play out. I do think Michigan's the better team, and that there's just no way Michigan State is going to win by 17 points and be the, clearly the better team throughout. If that makes any sense, so it's going to have to be the physicality of the rivalry, Michigan State hanging around, and some things going right for them for Michigan State to win this. Well, it will be as it always is an intense and a very physical game, so we shall see this Saturday, East Lansing, 12 noon kickoff. With us this morning on our visitors segment has been uh, columnist Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal who covers the Spartans. So enjoy Rivalry Week, Graham, and thanks for taking time to be with us. Thanks for having me. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. On Quick Hits today, we've been hearing that Tariq Black might be ready for game action. It's not official, but some of the players have been hinting he is close. Rashawn Gary is still doubtful. We have plenty of guys bunged up, but overall, we are in good shape for Week 8 of the season. Here are some game day facts. Michigan leads the series with 69 wins against 36 losses, and there have been five ties. We won the first game played in the series 39 to nothing on October 12, 1898 in Ann Arbor. Last year, well, you remember last year's game, so we're just going to skip right over that. Mark D'Antonio is in his 12th year as head man and boasts a record of 104 and 47 at MSU. In 15 years as a head coach, he is 122 and 64. Sparty was 10 and 3 last year, 7 and 2 in the Big 10. They blew out Washington State 42-17 in the Holiday Bowl and finished the season ranked number 15 in the Coaches Poll, 16th in the AP Poll. They are again 4-2 this season and coming off a big win in Happy Valley against number 8 Penn State last weekend. At least we won't have to deal with the monsoon conditions on Saturday. The weatherman says temps in the 40s, gusty winds are possible, and there's a 30% chance of rain, but it looks like it's going to hold off until after the game. We'll just have to wait and see. So really not bad for a late October Saturday. Our free show app is available from the iTunes and Google Play stores. You can also hear us each week on Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Wolverine Sports Radio. If you get us from iTunes, please take a minute to comment or rate the show, and I thank you in advance. 
Next week we rest, sort of. It's the bye week, but I'll have two shows for you anyway. On Tuesday's game day edition, we'll be joined by Michigan great Greg Skrapenick for our mid-season report card. I always love Greg's take on the offensive line play, and he always tells it like it is, and I'm sure he will after Saturday's game. On Thursday, I hope to have the National College football writer for The Athletic, Nicole Arbach, on the show. So even though it's a bye week, make sure you tune us in on Tuesday and Thursday. This is such a big game Saturday, I can't even put it into words. And I don't care how we get it done, just go in there and win. If possible, though, I'd like to see us torch the Spartans in their place. But I have a feeling they're going to bring it on Saturday, but so will we. It's going to be fun. That will do it for another week. Have a great Wolverine weekend, everyone. Think victory, beat Sparty. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until we meet again, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls, at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!